0: Good evening, everybody. This is Rich Duncan with Ink and tonight I'm joined by my co-hosts Shane Douglas Keene and Laurel Hightower. And tonight, we're excited to have on uh, Jennifer Grazer-Dornbush, who is a screenwriter, author, speaker, and forensic scientist who writ- wrote the books The Coroner, Secret Remains, and The Hole in the Woods. Um, how are you doing tonight, Jennifer?
1: I'm doing great. Hello, everybody. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're Welcome.
1: Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, anytime. And um, usually, when we have our guests on, um, we usually have them give like a kind of a new kid at school speech just for, you know, listeners who, you know, might not already be familiar with your work. So anything that you want to throw in there kind of in that format would be great.
1: Nice. Okay. All right. Let's see. I'm an Aquarius. I like long walks on the beach. (laughs) Um, uh, Yeah, let's see. Um, Yeah, I I have, gosh, where do I even start? Um, I guess I knew I was a writer since I was eight years old. Um, And although my life has taken many other various paths and journeys, uh, but I, I am so blessed to be able to be writing full-time, and I write film and TV, and I write novels, and I love it all, Um, and I write mostly in the crime and thriller genre because of my background, and it took me a bit for me to marry my background to my professional life, but I grew up in Michigan in a home where my father was a medical examiner for three counties, and the office was in our house, so I have seen a lot of death and forensic science in my life, literally on my kitchen table. (laughs) and um, So, I don't know, that's kind of, uh, yeah, I I guess it was um, natural that I should fall into this this path of writing crime and mystery. So,
2: yeah, that's what
3: I do. When you're picking brains and bone out of stuff at eight years old with your dad man that's a kind of weird ass bonding but it's kind of cool
1: I got yeah i mean like you know you're eight you don't really think you know doesn't everybody do this like, right <laughs> <okay>. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: yeah it's very odd i know but just like the things that were around me all the time were i guess very i guess most people would think very macabre um But literally, yes, I did my first case when I was eight years old. It was an airplane crash. They're messy, by the way. And um, they, my dad, the next day after the crash, we were honestly just like, as a family, we went into town and we went to church. We had our little Sunday school clothes on and our little Sunday school shoes. And after church, my dad's like, hey, I want to swing by the airport because I want to see if we missed anything. And um, so we hopped out of the car with him and we walked to the airfield and he told us, you know, just keep your eyes on the ground. If you see anything that looks unusual, let me know. And we did. <laughs> we saw <laughs> little pieces of skull. We didn't know what it was. And then he explained it to us and little, um, you know, wormy pieces of brain matter. And it was just science. <laughs> so- <laughs>
3: Um I don't really think that's that weird though honestly as a parent I think he you know he had enough training and um um insider knowledge to know that this is just a part of life and the yeah. sooner you, the sooner it's part of you too it's kind of easier for a kid to deal with it you know when it comes time to have to deal with it yourself
1: Yeah I'm so glad you think that way because that was how it is and I think a I think a lot of parents and even society in general shield wants to shield us from death and the harsh reality of that. And I don't really see the advantage in that because it's all, it's coming. <laughs> it's coming yeah, for all there, of us.
3: That's right. There's no, no advantage in that. It's better yeah. than, you know, it's like someday someone's going to die that you really love and it's going to hurt like a son of a bitch. No but
1: kidding. You know. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> oh. yeah, it's like, let's prepare. Um, And you know, the other thing is that it makes you, when you see how quickly life ends, and you see this literally day after day, um, people's lives, and, and they end in all different ways, right? Like I could go on and on about all the different ways life ends. And you start to realize, oh, gosh, like, life is really precious. Life is a gift. And I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow, so I better make the best out of today, and I better not burn a bridge, and I'm not going to hold a grudge, and I'm going to live my life to the fullest because I don't know when, you know, all I have is now. So I think we learned that as kids, as girl, you know, daughters, as all sisters, we learned that um, very early to be grateful and to to take advantage of life. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful for that lesson. And-
3: yeah, and that's, uh, I think it was my grandpa who used to say that, that your entire life is right here, right now,
1: mm-hmm. because
3: because yesterday's gone and you don't know if you're going to be breathing a second from now. So, you know? see, <laughs> so,
1: deep thoughts on a Saturday night. Yes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It, and, and if you live that way, boy, things become very enjoyable. And the little annoyances are not so bad, really. <laughs> I always well, tell people, like, just, like, live every day with, like, a deathbed perspective. Like, if you were on your deathbed today, how would you live this day? Like, if this was your last day, how would you live it? And it it really changes your perspective.
4: <laughs> well, absolutely, especially learning it that early, you know, and just letting it kind of become part of how you look at life as you grow up.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Um, it made me think too when you uh, when I saw that about the you know having the the body parts in the fridge and you know everything being at home <laughs> with you like that. Um, I think I, I remember reading uh, Bill Bass's um, one of his couple of books on the body farm and about how they ended up having to start using Nalen Stadium. I think because he was mm-hmm. like boiling body parts on his, mm-hmm. on his stove and all. Yeah. Oh
1: okay. <laughs> gosh. I love those books by the way. They're great books. Um. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. I know he yeah it's really interesting and early early forensic science like that's the thing too like I love what he was doing um the way he was experimenting because my dad was doing the same thing in Michigan and just he wasn't you know a famous professor but um he it's true like people don't realize because it's been forensics and CSI and all that it's been so um wonderfully glamorized on television but it's very, it's actually a pretty new science and the developments that have happened in the last 30 to 40 years are leaps and bounds to where it was before then. Um, so yeah, I, I love reading about all the little experiments and ways it's grown and, um, it's much, it's, it's so much more advanced now than it was even in the seventies and eighties. So oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and, th- and that's one of the things, um, like, I read, um, like, they kind of touch on that a little bit, too, in um, that book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, you know, when they were searching mm-hmm. for the Golden State Killer, kind of mm-hmm. about, you know, back then, like, what was available in terms of, like, the tools and the evidence. And, you know, just even things like, um, and you had mentioned this a little bit in your book, Hole in the Woods. Kind of like that, you know, code of silence thing where not only were they kind of hindered by, you know, the technology that was available to them and maybe like forensics back then. But also, you know, just the communication between, you know, different Mm -hmm. departments, you know, different witnesses and things like that.
1: So true. So, so true. And think about it like even a little thing like text messaging that we all depend on. Like my life depends on text, text messaging. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um.
1: You know, there weren't cell phones. There was. It couldn't be like friends quickly texting each other to say, "Well, what did you say when they interviewed you?" Or, "I'm going to say this." Or even just communication between people was so um, different. And and mm. I don't even. I don't want to say slow, but um, I'm trying to think of a good adjective. Just it just didn't unwind very quickly like it does now. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, it's very different. It was very, and I think two people are, the culture we have now, um, like where there's no privacy. People, mm-hmm. um, like I completely respect my own privacy and I'm like why are you blabbing all this stuff on the show so yeah, I don't get it like I don't get that generation of like putting your whole life on online but um, that wasn't how it was for you know most of history until the last 10 years um, so yeah it's well, yeah I don't know where I'm going with that but it is just a very different world and
3: it is it is and it adds a whole new branch of science really to forensics itself too as far as mm-hmm. you know um, yeah. computer forensics go and
1: oh yes yes yeah. Dude, but it's
3: interesting really too good. those differences you're talking about like back when ann rule started writing right um, forensic science sucked
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know so you you read some of the stuff and how they solved cases and how they usually just got lucky yes. you know yep. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and then you read a true crime book today and it's a it's a whole different experience because they're, yeah. they've they got all the science in there and they've got, you know, there's no way this guy did not do this.
1: You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's so it's so interesting. It's almost like how can any nobody can get away with anything today? How do you even get away like you can't? Like, like, it's well, yeah.
3: Why'd you even try? <laughs>
1: yeah, right. Just give up. You know, somebody's watching. Come on. Walk
3: into play, Hey, I'd like to turn myself in because I'm gonna murder my wife.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody's gonna catch some. Some camera's gonna catch me doing.
3: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> oh, my hate goodness. this
3: generation. <laughs>
1: what? Uh, turn off your phone. Oh man. Well, it's funny because it's just so true and it blows my mind because I'm working on this project right now um, that is a true crime memoir by these two girls whose father, their daughters and their father was a very prolific killer for the New York, five New York mafia families in the 70s, 80s and yeah, mostly 70s and 80s and the amount of, first of all, the amount of people he killed. Not even just for the mafia, but just because he felt like it, just for the hell of it, k- killing people, um, or he got angry, or whatever. They, he estimated between 100 and 200 people that he killed. He never once got caught for killing anybody. Like,
2: yeah.
1: Oh, Go ahead. No, no, I was just said that the way he got caught was for something else completely different. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, but... And I'm like, that would never happen today.
2: <laughs> no, it wouldn't. These
1: stories they tell me, of, and they knew their father was doing this, and, like, they knew some of the details. And I'm like, this would never happen today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, every single call I have with them, we're like, how did he not get caught?
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was a time the only way to catch a mobster is for someone to tell on him. Right. Uh, and an enforcer, they, they protect those guys really, really hard and heavy, so without forensics, you'd be screwed.
2: Oh, my goodness.
3: um, He was uh, interesting, though. I I don't know the name, but I'm pretty sure the guy you were just describing is uh, an author named Laird Barron. You had a character in one of his books that I'm pretty sure was based on that character.
1: Oh, interesting.
3: Yeah.
1: Interesting. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I'm going, this is exactly that guy. That's
1: funny. Uh, Do you remember his real name or no? Real? No,
3: and he didn't, I don't think he ever gave us a real name for the guy. Oh, he was Matt okay. Mob Killer, who was also just a guy who killed for fun. Yeah.
1: Did he, was you, like, so...
3: he was like a legend among the five.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, This guy is Richard Kuklinski. Oh. I don't know if that rings a bell. Yeah, but I
2: have yeah. her.
1: Yeah.
4: So is this more of like, and I'm sorry if you already said this is, so the project that you're working on um, interviewing these sisters is that, is that going to be more of a true crime thing or is it going to yeah. be similar to like a hole in the woods where it's a, where it's a dramatized or, or what kind of tack are you taking with that?
1: Yeah, no, this is their true story. Yeah. They wanted okay. somebody to, to, they're finally ready to tell their story and I pulled the lucky straw. <laughs>
4: so, yeah. Great though, that's really great. Uh,
1: they're wonderful. Yeah. I've, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Um, we're shopping it right now, and so fingers crossed. And they're, yeah, they are really amazing women. And I hope their story gets to be told because it's very inspirational, just in terms of what kind of crap they went through in their lives and how they survived and came out on the other side, and it's just very you know, for anybody who survived horrible circumstances, it's very inspirational. So yeah, that's so much, you know, it's not that you never hear about
4: crime victims, families, you certainly do, Um, you know, but, but you don't, I guess you don't necessarily think about the families of the people who committed those crimes as also being Mm
2: -hmm. victims
4: of it. But I mean, you have, you know, thinking about the way that affects your life. I mean, uh, what kind of things you learn from someone like that. and, And if, you know how much they were aware of it at the time, how that affects mm-hmm. them. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I I I hope that does uh, get picked up. That would be such an interesting thing
1: to read. Yeah. Yeah. It would. Yeah. They're they're yeah. phenomenal, and the stuff is. Yeah, you can't make this stuff up. In <laughs> truth is no. stranger than fiction. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. Well, I, mean, um, I can't imagine how bad that would fuck with your head, your dad. Oh, you know, because my dad was my dad was an outlaw. And he'd come home with stuff he stole. And, you know, he'd come home with bloody knuckles and all kinds of stuff. And that bothered me. Yeah. But he he never killed anybody.
1: Yeah. (laughs) uh, No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's (laughs) just just my writer (laughs) mind. Except
3: mom. There was mom, but... (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Um, Well, you'll get to read all about it. It's pretty crazy and... um, sure it'll get picked up somewhere because it's really stunning but yeah they um it's funny because i think that funny not half funny but the one gal the older one was daddy's girl and daddy told her a lot
3: oh that's a drag
1: oh yeah and Mm -hmm. she is now just processing it all and a lot of it has been processing it with me, <laughs> so um, I have now become, you know, therapist. I've crossed over the line to therapist. <laughs> uh, but it's yeah, I'm glad I'm I'm glad she can process it because yeah. it's intense, and she's telling me things that even are happening now, even in like her dream life. Yeah. And um, whoa, it's it's intense.
3: <laughs> yeah. Do you find as an as an author, that you personally have to find ways to process that so it doesn't become um, toxic to you?
1: Um, I must, I don't know, I must have, uh, maybe it'll catch up with me later, but I must have a really um, strong sense of compartmentalization because uh, maybe from growing up the way I did. Oh, I, that's a good point, yeah. I don't, it doesn't bother me. I'm, I'm grateful to be there for her. I'm grateful to be able to tell their story. My, my purpose is to be a storyteller. So I love people's stories and I love to help them tell stories. Um, so I, yeah, it hasn't bothered me. You know, I'm able to kind of, you know, dive into two hours of interview and then dive out and just go like have a beer or whatever, you know, just do something else. Um, completely different. Um, uh, it's. I will say though that when I sit down to write it, because I have to transcribe a lot of our interviews and then you know turn it into a narrative, it's some of it really hits me while I'm writing it. Mm-hmm. So there, it, it's very emotional, and then I'm exhausted and like, oh wow, okay, yeah, I'm exhausted. This is exhausting me. And the same thing happened with Hole in the Woods. It took me a long time to write that. Uh, for one, I was Working on it in between other projects, so I couldn't work at it consistently. But then when when I would work at it, I could write only about a chapter at a one sitting because I got I just was kind of exhausted emotionally by it. Um, I, I get that. Yeah.
3: So. I uh, I do that with poetry. I'm I, when I write poetry, I'm very emotional about it, and I can write one and then I have to take a break for the
1: rest of the night and do something else. Yeah. <laughs> yep i get it i get it but i don't think you know i don't I don't really carry it with me into the rest of my world so no. that's good that's good i guess
3: that is good that's better than me because i suck at that
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> um
0: so jennifer just out of curiosity i know you said um that they were ready to like tell their story. And I've always kind of wondered this about, you know, authors who write true crime, um, like memoirs and things like that. Was this like a case of like, you were kind of aware of this guy and you know, that he had a family and you kind of put together the project first, or did they reach out to you?
1: This second, I had no idea about this guy at all. I didn't know anything about him. I'd never seen any of the documentaries or anything. In fact, I still haven't. I'm kind of shielding myself from all that right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm kind of not Googling because I want to just keep my palette clean for them. Um, But no, I didn't know and it was actually um, a friend of of my agent who is also an agent with a different agency and had the rights to their story and um, approached me and said, hey, I think you're the right person for this. That's cool. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Like just one of those very wonderful happenstances where somebody just like the world just hands you a plate with this beautiful gift. (laughs) Like, Wow. Thank you. I will take that.
3: (laughs) I feel that. Yeah. I wasn't. I wasn't asking for that, but I certainly will take it. Thank you. (laughs)
1: Exactly.
4: (laughs) Exactly.
1: Although I. I, Oh, no. Go ahead, Laurel. No,
4: I was just going to say it seemed very much in line with some of the other stuff that you've done. So it makes sense to me you know, that they would approach you, but yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go right ahead.
1: No, no, I was basically going to say that, that, um, that <laughs> I knew it was the right project. I mean, cause I didn't know them at all. And again, when I learned about it, I didn't, I purposefully did not like jump on Google. Um, so I, I kept it very streamlined anyway. So my first conversation with them, I, I was very, didn't know anything you know, I just was like, I'm going to listen blank slate. Right. And I knew it was the right project. I knew we were the right fit when they told me this story. And the story is that, um, their father had a very good friend and their father did not have a lot of very good friends, but this was a guy that he had really sort of bonded with. And, um, he had brought him over to the fam you know the family for dinners and lunches and things so the family knew him and had had known him for many many years and then one day this gentleman said something that Richard did not like and he kind of tested him on it and the guy failed the test and he shot him killed him in his van just point blank no warrant you know just like I can't have that, you know, the mob. Um, So he drove, he drove home. It was like in the middle of the day. He drove home to have lunch, pulled in. The girls were home. Everybody's home. You know, mom had, mom had prepared lunch. I think they were somewhere in their teens and they had lunch and the girls saw dad pull the, the truck into the garage and they all had lunch. Dad came in, everything fine, they everybody had lunch together, and then Dad left again and they pull and as they watched as they watched him pull out of the garage, they saw this friend slumped over in the front passenger seat. Oh my gosh. And they knew what had happened. Um so here this guy, you know, this guy had basically sat in their garage while dad was having dinner and, and or lunch, you know, with the family. And I said, oh, yeah, I've had that same experience. Because <laughs> sometimes my dad would bring home bodies, have dinner with the family, and then take the body to the morgue.
3: Oh, yeah, bodies <laughs> were a regular after-dinner experience for <laughs> me. I'm, like, nope.
1: I'm like, oh, your body stayed in the garage, too. We're perfect. Let's write this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we just laughed. I'm like, oh, I, I, I've had that experience. Yeah.
4: It wasn't that they probably. Bond with that over. That's amazing. You
1: know?
3: that like, yeah, I, know. I think uh, I think the title of our of this episode is gonna be Bodies in the Garage and Brains in the Fridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So yeah. there it is. <laughs>
3: You know, that's fun, though. That's fun. I would love to be able to say that my life was as weird and quirky and interesting as that. And I don't mean any of that in a bad way.
1: No. No no offense taken. I It was weird and quirky and embarrassing at the time. Now I can see what a rich gift that it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but going through it, it's a little different.
3: I'm sure. <laughs> uh, Dad, is that a hamburger or a brain in the fridge? <laughs>
1: These, these things, you know, you had to be careful. The, the the body parts were on the lower part of the freezer and the ground beef was on the top. So you did have to watch out. Oh, <laughs>
3: uh, I'd be, I'd be screwed in my freezer so disorganized. <laughs> I, I, that, that's either a ribeye or somebody's rib. I'm not exactly.
4: sure yet.
1: Exactly. Oh, my gosh.
2: I'd
4: <laughs> oh. be um, interested to, to hear, um, too, about how you ended up writing... Hole in, hole in the Wood, um, because that, now that is a, is that a dramatized version of something, of, of a true crime? Is that, is that right?
1: I mean, it's sort of like a based on, inspired by. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, a lot of things about the case are taken right from it, but a lot of things I had to tweak and fictionalize and jostle around, and the characters are a bit different, and Yeah. So, so is that is that kind of something
4: new that you were trying on that, or is something because I know so you have the the Coroner's Daughter series. Mm-hmm. um and I didn't know if this if hole in hole in the woods was was more of of a foray, I guess, into true crime or if that was something you had done with those books as well?
1: Uh no, those are definitely just a whole different variety of just straight up, you know mystery um. But this one, I I always knew I wanted to write about it. I always thought it was interesting, an interesting case. It sort of haunted our community and our family, really, because she was killed in 89. And I remember when that happened. And I remember the case and my dad talking about it. And it was a very, that just didn't happen in our community. I mean, I grew up in a very, West Michigan, Northern Michigan is is kind of rural, honestly, like is not hugely populous and murders aren't, it's not like Chicago or, or LA or something where murders are just, you know, everyday kind of events. This was very unusual. It was very brutal. It was very, I don't know, just almost random. It just didn't make sense. And so it, it sort of cast this very dark cloud. Anyway, all this to say, and then because it, it wasn't solved for 25 years, we were all but also because everybody sort of knew who did it, you know, (laughs) but it just couldn't make, they couldn't, nobody could make the links to it. It was just a very strange situation. And when the suspects were finally arrested because the cold case team had been able to make enough links, I was like, Oh my goodness, I have to be at that trial. I want to know everything. So I was able to sit through this like three week trial. And during that time, I just started was noting and noting and noting and the whole story started to fall together. I'm like, okay. I, but i never wanted to tell the real story because it's just too, it, first of all, it's been done. There's been documentaries done about it. And I was like, we don't need a book about this. Like I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in telling a just a fictionalized version Um just more interesting to me, I guess, to see what I could do with that. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. I just, and then I, I'm the kind of writer where I just always like to try new things like, okay, let's try this. Let's tackle this adventure. Let's, and this seemed like a, a very challenging adventure to me because I'd never written like a thriller suspense from like many, many points of view. And, but the way the whole case, um, the way I saw the whole case, I was like, okay, I, I don't want it to be your, oh, we got to figure out who done it. That's not interesting in this case. What's interesting is that you have a town who knows who done it, but they're trying to figure out how, how do we make that link? How do we catch these guys? Right. Uh, and all the secrets that are being held back. And I think also there, w- there really wasn't any physical evidence Um, but there was no biological or physical evidence that was ever tied to the killers. And you see on CSI, right. Or you see on all these shows or 48 hours or whatever, first 48, all these things. It's so heavily based on forensic evidence. And this is a case that really wasn't, it was all circumstantial. And I find that very interesting because it's very, it's not black and white. It's not science. It's very gray. Um, and I just think it's more psychologically interesting. <laughs> so anyway, all that to say, all those things are what interested me in putting this piece together. So, yeah, yeah. well, I, I love I
4: mean, I really love that um, kind of meld of it because, you know, you start with the, and, it, and in some ways, too, I sort of feel like um, it's, it's also kind of a nod to like a way to honor and continue thinking about this person who passed away and, you know, and, and, and kind of keeping that kind of thing in, in the forefront of people's minds to a certain extent while still making it you know, a, a fictionalized story as well. Um, I just, I think that's a really interesting way to do it. And as, as you said, again, with, um, you know, you you of course are immersed in forensics all the time, but it, it is very interesting to look at something that is solely based on circumstantial and how that kind of works now. So, um, is that something that you think you're going to keep doing, or because you've tackled that now you're done, you're going to move on to the next thing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, no, I'm still very interested in that because honestly, most ca- even most court court cases are um, tried on circumstantial evidence and that's not the perception that we are given through media and entertainment but i i like it because i think it it, it gives an audience more to think about um and i don't know it's just gray it's just a gray area like people will say how can you know how can that character how could they have not known what forest it was, or how could they have not said anything for twenty-five years? And I'm like, well, let's look at human nature. Let's talk about that element. <laughs> there are good <laughs> reasons sometimes why people don't say things. <laughs> um, people are not always ethical or moral, and there, and you can under sometimes you can understand why people make certain decisions. Or if you bring it up, it's just interest. It's more interesting to think about, I guess. So. I'll probably continue to play around with that a lot um, that when I look at this project that with the, the mafia, the sisters and stuff, um, this one has really blown my mind um, in terms of the whole nurture versus nature mm. because of of him, of Richard Kuklinski and what the sisters say about his past and his upbringing and they have very strong opinions on whether it was nurture or nature for him and he was also this really amazing dad, like really kind of cool dad and so what do you do with that? And Because you're telling me these beautiful stories about things that he did with them and for them that going out 4 hours later and murdering people. Hmm. Yeah. This is so interesting to think. It's blowing my mind every time, you know, just human nature is, is 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 more interesting to me sometimes than just this black and white forensic science. Um forensic science is great for moving plot along and for for clues. Um but I think that people generate or or, or gra- sorry grav- gravitate toward these like great crime shows or these series that you see on TV because of the complexity of human nature and our characters. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
4: No, that's, I mean, that's, that's a really, especially in light of, of this other, you know, item that you're working on, that's just such an interesting, um, such an interesting view. I'm I, the yeah, the nature versus nurture on that, you know, apl- applicable as well, of course, to his children and how that affected them. That's that's just mm-hmm. such an interesting case study, you Yeah, know, and, and character study, of course, too.
1: Yeah, yeah, because they're saying, okay, well, if 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 the, if the whole you know, nature versus blah, if the whole thing is about um nature and this is passed along, right, how come we didn't become serial killers? How come. We didn't com- go into lives of crime and we saw terrible, terrible things. How come we didn't do that? You know, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. So it's like, ah, good point. You know, you, you were treated awfully. You did see terrible things. Um, mm-hmm. Your minds were effed up. So what, what was the difference there? Why did you take a different road? Yeah.
3: That's an interesting thing I, I've always wondered about because of my own background with my parents and stuff. That people can say nurture, but there's some nature there too.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, I, I believe in almost every instance of a, I guess, a depraved personality, so to speak. Um, there is there is some nature there. I mm-hmm. think. Yeah,
1: so, these girls would agree with you for sure.
3: Yeah. For sure. Yeah, because how do you how do you live with that all your life? And then yeah. just like, oh, that's perfectly fine to blow this chick away. She's really pissing me off.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think I'm going to shoot this one in the face. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Oh, man. <laughs>
3: but, yeah, I, I
0: think it is, like Shane said, um, there's definitely some of that at play in there. Like, I, I'm not an expert on it, but I remember hearing um you know about like they were doing studies into what they call like the warrior gene which is basically Mm. people who can exhibit higher levels of like aggression and things like that and i wonder you know some people they did like a show on it once and some people have it but you know they don't exhibit those things but Mm. if you kind of get that per that quote-unquote perfect storm maybe where someone has that but then, you know, they have a really rough time, you know, growing up and go through horrible things that maybe kind of shape them in that way and kind of almost like activate that. To yeah. Degree.
1: Yeah. Almost. Yeah, I agree. That's basically what happened to him, to Richard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, there was definitely an activation point, a trigger point. Yeah. Interesting. Have I gone way too deep and dark and depressing on a Saturday night? Oh, no,
4: no, yeah. no, no.
3: Are you kidding? This is a cheery show for us. <laughs>
1: yeah. Light and frivolous, yes. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I, I would love to hear. I, I was I was interested. So um, I, your website said you had done what, 360 hours of training with the Forensic Academy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I had not. So how does how does that work? Is that um, I, do, do you just get to take like a whole just like a range of subjects, or yeah. how, how was that?
1: Yeah, actually, yes. I kind of call it a forensic boot camp. It was when I started to really marry my background to my writing and like really kick it into gear and become very serious about it, and like really, it was just a like a career shift at the moment. I said, you know, I. Gosh, I I know a lot about death investigation and forensics, but there's a lot I don't know. Forensics is a huge field, and so I just I found this academy in Los Angeles, and it is a smattering of sort of everything. It touches on sort of everything in the field, and, it, and I was like, I want to do this, so I applied and I went, and yeah, it's. It, I mean, you you study everything from DNA to fingerprints to ballistics to you know, crime scene investigation to corner stuff to uh courtroom things. It's it's a very wonderful um uh, overview, I guess, of everything. So it was great, uh, because it was taught by people who are professionals in the field and every we was a weekend course at the time, and um so every weekend we would spend all day Saturday, all day Sunday with all these great forensic professionals and learning all these things and field trips. And that was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, well, especially, I didn't even think
4: about field trips. That's awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really good. Really good. Um, so it was just what I needed because it gave me all this sort of foundational knowledge about all the fields. And then it also gave me introductions and access to these amazing professionals so if i have questions now i just call them up <laughs> ask them <laughs> questions oh yeah so,
4: wow. so you, you just got a whole network then
1: yeah exactly exactly and, so, yes, and,
4: and
1: then um they've even asked me to come back and speak to classes because i was the only i think there were 50 in my class i was the only non like I was the only writer. I was the only person who wasn't go- looking to go practice in the field. And so it's kind of fun because I sometimes get invited back just to talk about forensics in a different way of like, oh, look, this is something else you can do with forensics. So wow. you, can, you can struggle as a writer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Great.
1: Yeah, At least can, being
2: honest with
3: them. <laughs> yeah. can, and the rest of us for all this fame and poverty <laughs> –
1: Yeah, I'm like, you know what? Don't quit your day jobs, you know? Fingerprint analyst, it's really a great job.
3: (laughs) Exactly. Trust me, you make good money.
1: Uh, And actually, you guys are the real heroes. (laughs) I just write (laughs) fictional stuff.
3: (laughs) There's a glamour around it that um, only exists if you don't do it. Exactly. (laughs) And, uh kind of on that point. I know
0: you've consulted on um a couple shows like uh, Suits and Hawaii 50 and stuff like that. And I'm just curious like how does how does that kind of like come about? Like how do you like regardless of like whether it be like forensics. I've always wondered, you know, how people became like consultants for those shows.
1: Right. Um for me it's very casual and it's very word of mouth. Because I know a lot of writers and a lot of people in the industry, and so it's been very. I don't like put myself out there as like, oh, I'm a consultant, hire me, um, yeah. because I'm writing, <laughs> so I got my own own stuff to do. But it's, um, but I'm I love it when people call or email and say, oh, I have this question, or can we ask you this, or so it's it's for me, it's very um, just very word of mouth, yeah. But for other people who do it. Um, as a job, job, most well. Here's the here's the dirty little secret. There really is no job. Um, and hopefully I won't get lambasted. But there's a lot of. um, Hopefully there's nobody in Hollywood listening. Um, there's a lot of people who consult, and there are people who are actually you know professionals working in the field who are, you know, medical examiners or forensic scientists or whatever, and they don't pay them. That's the dirty little secret.
3: Oh. Yeah, fuck that. Sorry.
1: Yeah, I know, right? No, I was like, you don't, what? You make how much money and you can't pay them for their expertise? And the other kind of their, their little secret is that a lot of these people want to do it because there is, or are, are honored to do it, or happy to do it because number one, they might be retired and they're happy to just share their knowledge. Um, and there is kind of like a glitz and a glamour around it, right? Oh, oh um, Hollywood. But it makes me very upset because I know what these production budgets are. I know what they're paying writers and actors, et cetera. And I'm like, you can throw these forensic heroes a bone, okay, for for giving you their time and expertise. So, yeah. (laughs) So that's (laughs) my little soapbox. But, yeah, a lot of the times it's people who are, you know, have have many, many decades of experience and are... um, somehow a lot of them are kind of known in their fields for certain things. Mm-hmm. So.
3: Yeah. I just get I have a big, I have a big hang up with this actor is going to get $3 million in advance for this. And we're going to thank you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Don't get me on that so much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, you know, this big, Professional in the forensic field, I just know a lot of stuff enough to be dangerous, but <laughs> I'll just help a friend. <laughs>
3: uh, and say if I ever need to murder somebody, I'll call you. Right. 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 Hey, how about <laughs> <this stuff>? <laughs> <laughs> What do you get to use? What do you use to get brains out of your carpet?
1: Right. So you're just asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, actually, I have this great product from Melaleuca, and it's a stale. <laughs> <So it's-
2: laughs> she does know stuff.
1: Actually, it's really true. It is a great product, but it probably would get brains out of carbon.
3: I read a fun book one time by a guy named Charlie Houston um, about a guy who was a cleanup man mm. who went in after, you know, the police and the um, forensic examiners and everybody were done with him and cleaned the scene up. And it was pretty... Uh, He obviously had some very, very, very first-hand experience with the stuff. Yes. Driving. (laughs) I
1: give those people so much credit. Oh my goodness gracious! Like, oh. Yeah. Could be messy, messy, messy.
3: No kidding, but it's good to have a couple in your pocket in case you need to clean up a crime scene. So
1: true. Very true. (laughs) Very, very true.
3: It should be noted that I have never needed to clean up a crime scene. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, probably, we're probably about uh 10 minutes away from wrapping here just because I have a grocery delivery coming at 7 or so.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, you know, the plague days, we don't oh, shop. Yeah. <laughs> right,
1: right. <laughs> and actually now we've all been so adjusted to how convenient it is we may never shop again (laughs) oh
3: that's what i told my that's what i told my wife too you know as soon as the pandemic is over i'm gonna keep right on shopping this way yeah (laughs) no
1: kidding i know boy it saves you time too
3: it does um so um any other big news in your near future, or anything else you'd really you're really burning to discuss? So I don't want to miss anything important.
1: I know there are some great things, but I can't talk about them yet because <laughs> the, the ink is not dried yet. So I
3: understand.
1: Uh, but yeah, that's great that that there's some stuff coming up though. Well, it yeah. is. Yeah, it's good. Fingers crossed. You know, it's it's not over till it's till it's over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, it's good. I'm happy there's a lot of plates spinning and um, just a lot of good things. A lot of good, fun, different projects. i um, curious to see where it all goes. So, we'll see. We'll see, we'll see.
3: Uh, we're curious to see where it all goes, too. Um. Yeah. um my, my brain sucks, so remind me. The the book is out now, Hole in the Woods.
1: The book is out. Yep. Yes. Yep. And... Um, I
3: never pay attention to whether it's live or not. I just read the things.
1: <laughs> exactly. No, I totally get it. And the best, well, I guess one thing I can announce, which is really um, cool. So you maybe you read, I partnered with the Cold Case Foundation. And they work on the most difficult, hardest to solve cases. And they do it all for free. They're not a nonprofit. And they have this amazing team of forensic specialists and FBI agents and like all these really cool people that um, volunteer their time to work on these cases. And they're super busy right now over COVID. They've just become insanely busy. They're solving cases left and right. I love this organization. They're amazing people. Um, And so uh, I am, um, I'm doing, I'm donating a portion of the sales of hole in the woods to them forever and always. So, and I've partnered with them just on other things too And they just dropped this cool thing called Cold Case Live. It's basically, I guess you'd call it like a subscription, like a membership service. So if you're really into like Cold Cases and True Crime and all that, it's um, a membership service where you get their podcast, their web series, you get all the exclusive articles, private forum, you get an academy, all the courses for free, Um, they're they're they've started to populate it, but they're they're rolling it out and populating it more and more and more. So if you're really into that, um you can go to coldcase.live and become a member. It's super cheap and again all the money goes directly to their organization. So I just like to mention that because it's, yeah. it's cool and they're do and they're the real heroes. So that's well that's amazing. I'd actually I'd not heard of them. Um I
4: I work for a law firm and one of one of my attorneys um, has done a lot of work on the Kentucky Innocence Project. Mm. Um, so, sh- you know, she's donated her time as an attorney to kind of like, I mean, it's, I guess it's kind of on the other side of it, but it is, you know, a lot of times it's going back and, and using forensics to, you know, kind of prove that actually, no, this person really did not commit this crime and they've been behind mm-hmm. bars for a really long time um, and yeah. kind of right some of those wrongs. So I've, I've just, I find that whole kind of thing fascinating. And I think, yeah, I mean, the the cold case, that that's just great. I I'd not heard of that. That's excellent. Yeah,
1: check them out. coldcasefoundation.org. org. And yeah, I know. I love those Innocence Projects too, because I just love. There's just so many cold cases, and and also people sitting in jails that didn't do things that we need to figure this all out. We <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to work on this.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. That's a that's a sad situation. There are a lot of people sitting there, even on death row, who.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's sad anyway yes. on that
2: happy
1: on note, that note. <laughs> <laughs> but you well, can support you. them yes by, yeah, no. by buying the book and and feel good about it and have a good mm-hmm. read as well so
2: <laughs> excellent
1: <laughs> absolutely
4: well thank you so much for coming on and for talking to us that's i just your whole background, I mean, you have done absolutely everything, so that uh, that's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, it was a pleasure,
3: was a pleasure, and extremely interesting.
1: Yeah, you guys too, you're lovely, and um, I wish you the best with this very interesting podcast. I love it. Well, thank yes. you, love Thanks it. So
3: thank much. you, uh, thank you very much, uh, Jennifer Gracer Dornbush. Uh, the book is Hole in the Woods. Um, Thank you for being here, Jennifer. We will certainly have you back. You're a your delight to engage with.
1: My pleasure. My pleasure. Hopefully, have we can a good night. talk about crime again soon. Yes. After- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. All right. Have Bye. a good evening. If
3: right. somebody going to hang the fucking thing? <laughs>